Hey guys, welcome back to the Play Like a Girl podcast, one of the new shows for SB Nation's Ohio State site, Land Grant Holy Land. We talk all things Ohio State football and talk to and about other women in Buckeye athletics and beyond. I'm your host, Tia Williams. And I'm your other host, Meredith Hine. You can follow me on Twitter at Tia Williams, that's Tia with three A's, Meredith at Meredith Hine, and of course the site at Land Grant 33. Thanks so much for tuning in to episode eight and happy game day. Before we introduce our first guest for today, we wanted to talk a little bit more about imposter syndrome, which we brought up on the show last week, um, and really call out ourselves for uh, falling victim to imposter syndrome. Because as soon as we stopped recording, as soon as we were recapping, the first thing that we said to ourselves, T and I, was that the show wasn't good enough. We were worried about how we sounded and what the things we said were. But of course, as soon as we went back and listened, we realized that everything was okay. So just some advice to everyone out there that as scary as it is, we are all feeling the same syndrome. um, And we just have to keep pushing through it. But jumping right into the show today, we are so excited to welcome Morgan Moriarty from SB Nation. Morgan has been covering all things NFL for the SB Nation site. In particular, she's been working on a Q&A series with some of the NFL's most powerful women, and we have so many questions for her today. Yeah, it's such a cool idea, Morgan. I'm, my editor actually brought your Q&A series. You tweeted it out. He brought it to my attention, and I was like, can you help me get her on the show? Like, we need to talk to her. Um, these women, if you can believe it, just don't get enough media attention, and I'm so jealous you've gotten to talk to them personally. So I guess to begin, because we come from a college football site, and we have to ask you, who are you rooting for on College Football Saturday? Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me on. Um, I actually graduated from the University of Florida in 2015. Um, my mom went there too. So I'm a diehard Gator fan, um, unfortunately for me this past weekend. So I will be pulling for Florida this weekend. I'm actually pretty nervous about this game because we have South Carolina and then Georgia in a couple weeks. So oh, yeah. um, if you follow me, on Twitter or anything like that, you'll see me definitely tweeting about the Gators on Saturday. <laughs> I was at a wedding this weekend and I missed uh, the Georgia South Carolina game and just heard about it much, much later. And I was so, so, um, well, as an Ohio State fan, I was ecstatic to hear that <laughs> Georgia had fallen. Right. I mean, I was pretty excited too. And, and I actually had a wedding to go to that night and Florida was playing at eight. So I was like, that girl that was on her she was fine with it but yeah I was like sorry I mean yeah they got to be fine with it if you're gonna have it on a Saturday (laughs) we we've talked about it on the show before but if you're gonna have a fall wedding make sure it's a bye week for your team (laughs) yeah but before we jump into the NFL today uh we wanted to ask so you wrote about the 22 women who have recruiting careers in the SEC and ACC alone. So this article was written in 2017, so things have shifted a little bit since that point. But in that article, you mentioned that the Big Ten had just one woman who was working specifically in recruiting, and that is Tori Majors at Ohio State. So Morgan, what do you think are some steps, given your research in this area, that the Big Ten could do that could help improve that number of female recruiters? Yeah, so like you mentioned, um, that piece was written a couple years ago, so I'm sure if I went through the research again, um, those would be a lot higher, not just in the Big Ten, but across the country. But I really just think it's probably 
exposure and maybe just like developing pipelines to get more women hired at college programs. Um, how that really starts, I wish I knew the answer to. But like I said, it was from a couple of years ago. And it's funny that the numbers were so high in the SEC and ACC. I didn't like actually set out to make it focused on those two conferences. I was going through like the entire Power Five. And those two conferences really just kind of stuck, stuck out as having the most, which I thought was pretty unique. So that's kind of why that article kind of pivoted towards the South and those conferences. But um, I really just think that exposure and programs finding women who do want to do stuff like that, because obviously, as, as you all know, there are tons who do want to do that and get involved in recruiting. So I think it's just exposure and, and reaching out and try and find young women to to help their programs because it is a big benefit for for schools especially like Ohio State and in the Big Ten. One thing that really jumped out at me was when you asked the women about the challenges they faced while working in this male-dominated industry and um, Mm -hmm. you wrote that most of their responses centered around differences when pitching ideas or clarifying roles. So basically these women had to you know continuously remind or tell coaches and other staff members, I got this. I know what I'm doing. We're doing it my way. Um, and Kenzie Franklin even said it's hard to gain their trust. And, you know, granted, she was a new staff right. member. but And so, Morgan, after interviewing so many women in sports, why do you think that these women in the industry have to gain coaches' trust or they have to prove themselves more so than men in the same position? And would you say this is a problem across the board, not just recruiting? Yeah, I think it's an interesting concept to think about. Obviously, it it makes sense. I kind of look at it from both ends. Obviously, from a female perspective, yes, of course, they can do anything that a male recruiter could do or, or a male doing the same job. But coaching, especially at the college level, is Kind of like, and this might not be the best analogy, but I I think it's kind of like a fraternity kind of. Um, Coaches are very, especially at the college level, trustworthy of guys who they've worked with. And that could be, you know, anyone they've coached with back in the day or people they played Mm -hmm. with or, oh, so-and-so you know, played with this guy, he says he's it's great, you know, it's all going to be good and, and we're on the same level there. So I think just the concept of college coaching and how coaches are hired in general is kind of the issue there, um, which makes sense. You know, you, you want people on your staff that, that you can trust and, and that you know is putting your program in the best position that you want it to be. Right. Um, so I can kind of see both sides of it. But also, um, like I said, I, I think just exposure is a big thing and, and just kind of realizing that, yeah, you know, you may not know this person or you may not have played with them, but they might have really good ideas too that could help your program. So I think just kind of getting coaching staff to have more of an open mind um, and we're seeing that at the college level a little bit. Callie Brownson, who um, I've actually gotten to speak with, she was the first ever full-time female D1 coach. She was at Dartmouth. She's with the Buffalo Bills now. Oh, yeah. um, but that was a big step. So I think there's obviously still a lot of progress that needs to be made, but um, just kind of coaches ha- having a little bit more of an open mind and finding diversity to to put within their stabs is a good start. 
I love that you brought up the example of the Bills hiring her on as a huge step forward and being able to make it into the NFL's highest ranks, especially when you see female assistants making it in the NBA even, you know, five years ago. But one Mm -hmm. of the things that you wrote about as well was that these women have these strong female role models who have helped them to navigate their careers up to this point, even as they are breaking new ground and breaking that ceiling. So far on the show, we've had the chance to be able to interview a lot of female sports reporters and editors who have said the same thing about these mentors being the key to success in this industry. So we wanted to ask you, what are some of the challenges that you've experienced as a woman in sports and what or who has helped you to power through to this point? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I really have been kind of on the luckier side in terms of facing challenges or sexism or people questioning my knowledge. And I think just kind of my mindset going in, I mean, I've been around the sport of football. I started covering Florida football uh, back in 2012 full time. So I've been in this business a pretty long time. That was Granted, I was still in college at that point, but I have a pretty good handle on the industry as a whole. And I think it's just kind of partially how you present yourself and how you kind of showcase what you're good at. My whole thing, I mean, I knew I wasn't ever going to be an expert at X's and O's or breaking down film or anything like that, but I'm really good at telling stories or finding the origins of this random play or or stuff like that. So I think just kind of doing what you're really good at and making that known and also just being confident in in what you do. I mean, a lot of times at Florida press conferences and in press boxes now, I'm like obviously still one of the few females and, you know, and you notice that, but it's also just something that you kind of take pride in and saying, okay, well, I can make myself stick out and, and I work hard and I'm just as good as these 40 something year old dudes in this press box. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, I, I haven't experienced much like blatant sexism or anything like that. Obviously, I'm sure people question my knowledge or, you know, how did I get where I am? But I think it's just kind of having that confidence in your ability and knowing that you are supposed to be where you are and and you got there for a reason because you worked really hard. And I have had some really strong female mentors. Um, Diane Roberts, who is with WUSA, a DC affiliate, with CBS. I interned with them one summer and she's been really, really helpful. She's a sportscaster there. And my main mentor, Kevin Jones, who's obviously not a female, but he has been in the sports media industry for a while. And he's just always encouraged me to just work hard and do my best. And if I do that, no one can really tell me otherwise. So I love that you brought up um, the fact that, you know, you're not an X's and O's expert, but you are an expert in these other things. And that's very similar to some of the advice we've gotten from some of our previous guests in terms of following what you're passionate about and getting really good at those things that you're passionate about. And that, you know, it's okay if you're not an expert on absolutely everything, but you can still be really good at those things that you care about. Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would definitely say to like any young females wondering like how to get into sports or sports media industry. I mean, there's so many different things that you can do. It doesn't have to be writing or on TV. It can be marketing or anything like that. Um, just find something that you like to do and 
just work really hard and you can you can make a name for yourself doing that. Yeah. And we are going to talk about some real life examples of women who have made it to the top. But first, we're going to take a super quick ad break. Be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, Morgan, so we know your college team are the Gators, but who are you rooting for in the league? So I actually didn't really grow up with like an NFL team. I'm from Orlando. I mean, my mom went to Florida, so we were more of like a college sports fan family anyways. But I do like really like players from college um, and then that I follow in the NFL. So I'm definitely on the Gardner Minshew bandwagon for sure um, i actually got to interview his dad like late september which is really cool so i i think i'm technically a jag fan this season um, i might be dressing up for him, as him for halloween so oh yes gosh, definitely riding the jag yeah definitely gonna ride the jag train even though they looked not great against the saints last week but we'll see what they do this week that's amazing you have Please to make sure. Pictures. Yeah, post photos. <laughs> All the photos. I definitely will. I'm so excited about this next section. Um, so far, you've published two interviews to SBNation.com featuring some pretty powerful women in the NFL. One of them is Amy Trask, who's the NFL's first women's CEO, also the executive vice president and chief brand officer for the Dallas Cowboys, who's Charlotte Jones. Just to point out real quick, Amy Trask, is affectionately known to Raiders Nation as the Princess of Darkness, um, which I just think is, you know, some might find that insulting, but I feel like as a as someone involved with the Raiders organization, there's probably no higher compliment that. for her. <laughs> yes, goals. But before we jump into specifics with that, Morgan, uh, what did you learn from these two incredibly powerful women? And did anything surprise you about your experience speaking with them? Yeah, they were um, really awesome to talk to. I think what stood out from speaking with Amy, she was actually one of the first people I talked to for this series. She's obviously very confident in what she was able to do. And she gets asked about, you know, being one of the first women CEO in the NFL a lot. She wrote a book about her experience working with the Raiders. So I think that the one thing that was really interesting with Amy is just how much trust was there when she was with the Raiders. Obviously, she's not any longer, but Al Davis really, it sounded like, just would let her kind of run the show and do what she wanted to do, which I think especially back in 1990s was was pretty rare to, to have that in the NFL. And, you know, she mentioned being one of the few women at NFL board meetings and whatnot, but um, having... Al Davis there just kind of gave her that extra confidence. So I think that's more of like a broader point to just having powerful men within the league. And we've seen guys like Bruce Arians, you know, hire two female coaches this past off season. Um, he obviously hired Jen Welter when he was with the Cardinals. 
having these powerful men within the league um, just kind of put trust in these women and putting them center focused, I think is just a really big stepping stone for progress. We obviously have, you know, a lot longer to go and, and there are still far too many too few females, excuse me, in NFL front offices. But but I think her really strong personality stood out and, and the fact that she was able to do so much with the Raiders back in the 90s, like I mentioned, where there were not that many females involved in the league was really right. cool. And then um, for Charlotte, I mean, obviously, you know, she's Jerry Jones's daughter. Story of how she kind of came over to the team was interesting. She was working in politics and there was like this whole thing about the cheerleaders and rumors that like Jerry Jones would would make them like change their outfits and stuff. And that was initially what she was brought to kind of deal with when he first took over the team. And then really, she just kind of that role evolved into a really all encompassing one to kind of promote and make the Cowboys brand a national standard, which is really cool. And she oversaw. A lot of things like uh, Super Bowl halftime shows and um, the NBC Thanksgiving halftime shows. She was like instrumental in putting that live on NBC back in the early or late 90s, I believe. Uh, I might have that date wrong. But and it was also really cool that she, you know, said outright that she really didn't experience that many struggles being a female, more just being Jerry Jones's daughter. And how she kind of had to work harder to prove, you know, that she was there for her worth and not because of who her dad was, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, I love when you wrote that this Q&A series highlights the powerful women who have dared to shake up one of sports' biggest boys clubs. I think that's hilarious because it truly is, you know, (laughs) and then these women are coming in and just making moves And especially since both Amy and Charlotte, who said they would have never thought they'd even be in the front office or in an an executive Mm -hmm. position, they just kind of work their way up into it. And even Amy said, you know, she didn't have her eyes set on this executive position, let alone the CEO position. She was thrilled to be a part of the organization and she would do anything to help the team, including like picking up scrunched up cups on the sideline. She said she'd have happily done that mm-hmm. if she was asked. So we, you know, we've already mentioned this earlier, but we talk a lot about imposter syndrome on the show. And so I was just kind of wondering if maybe Amy was feeling that in the beginning or, you know, after conducting these interviews, did you find imposter syndrome to be prevalent? I think I more just kind of saw it as like a natural progression. I mean, obviously, like I mentioned, Charlotte's role in the beginning was far different than what she wound up doing. Um, I mean, she also oversaw like the entire building of AT&T Stadium, which is awesome. So I think it's just kind of a progression of starting with maybe one small role. Amy actually started as an intern with the Raiders. So she probably was picking up scrunched up cups and stuff like that. But I think just if you if you have a passion for either an organization or something within sports, you can you can make that known and you'll get rewarded for it if you do hard work and, and good work. So I think, I don't really think it's imposter syndrome. I, I think it's just kind of progress and kind of showing people 
what you can do. And I love that you, you know, you mentioned their hard work mentality and uh, especially Amy being able to rise up from an intern, you know, to be CEO is just so inspirational and neat. And that particular, the fact that neither felt like gender was an issue. And you mentioned uh, Charlotte feeling like it was more the fact that she was the daughter of Jerry Jones being that bigger barrier emotionally or mentally. Mm -hmm. But do you think, Morgan, would you say that there's anything that these women all have in common that you've spoken with, including going back to the recruiters we were talking about earlier, and that maybe gender, you know, isn't even on their radar in terms of things that they have in common? Yeah, I think the gender aspect of it is a big, a big link between them all. And I think that and I did, I was able to ask all four women that I talked to just kind of how they navigated that or if they even really had to. Most of them, yeah, just kind of said, no, I didn't really see it as an issue. And I think that that's kind of how women should look at pretty much anything, whether you're in a male dominated field or not. I think Amy said, you know, if you make gender an issue, it's going to be an issue. Just just don't think about it and it won't really be there, which obviously sometimes is is easier said than done. But if you if you go into a situation with the mindset that your gender is going to hold you back, I mean, you're already kind of setting yourself back a little bit. For sure. So you said you interviewed four women. Did you have a favorite? I didn't have a favorite. I mean, they were all just so different you know and it's funny because I kind of asked some of them a little bit similar questions like one that I asked all of them was just kind of describing what their job was because a lot of their roles were very encompassing and and different from day to day but I, I, I didn't have a favorite they were just all had really different unique and cool perspectives and I think it's really awesome to kind of tell their stories and and kind of give a fresh look at at what they've all been through. Amy's interview actually gave me goosebumps and before we jump into the trending women in sports news I do want to leave you guys with this quote um, from your Q&A because it's amazing. Um She said, when women are hired, I'm often asked, does that excite you? And the answer I give is, what will really be exciting is when it's no longer a novelty. And that goes to gender, race, ethnicity, religion. When people are hired without regard to any other individuality, which has absolutely no bearing on what they can do a job, on how they can do a job, that's what will truly be exciting. So with that, here is what's happened for women in sports since our last show. Gymnast Simone Biles competed at the 49th FIG Artistic Gymnastics World Championships in Germany, where she won gold in five of her six events. She now has 25 medals, 19 of which are gold, which makes Biles the most decorated gymnast, male or female, at the World Championships. And then my favorite part is after that... She basically called herself the best gymnast there is, rightfully so. And she said, if I say I'm the best gymnast there is, the reaction is, oh, she's cocky. No, the facts are literally on the paper. I think it's important to teach young girls that. And I could not agree more. Simone is the greatest of all time right up there with Serena, Brady, Tiger. I mean, she's incredible. Definitely. So congrats to Simone. So excited. You are the best gymnast out there. And speaking of greatness, I agree with that. (laughs) For sure. The Washington Mystics won their first ever WNBA championship last week after beating the Connecticut Sun 89 to 78 in game five of the finals. 
this has sparked a lot of equal pay conversation once again. Um, so maybe between that and the U.S. women's soccer team, some moves will hopefully be made to be able to treat these amazing female athletes with the pay that they deserve. And then moving on to your Ohio State Buckeyes, while we have football going on tonight, we also have women's ice hockey uh, on the ice and then field hockey on the field tonight. <laughs> so all sorts of great sports happening. Um, ice hockey looking to bounce back from really a tough loss to top-ranked Wisconsin last week, and then field hockey looking uh, to do the same after falling to Stanford last week. All right, guys, that's all we have for today. Morgan, thank you so much for coming on the show, chatting about amazing women in football. It's been a blast, and I cannot wait to see the rest of your work. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. I appreciate it. You can find all of her articles on SBNation.com or on her Twitter, where you can follow her at Morgan underscore Moriarty. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Tia Williams. That's Tia with three A's. Meredith at Meredith Hine and the site at LandGrant33. We'll be back next Thursday and every Thursday after that with new shows. Thanks again for listening to Play Like a Girl. And as always, go Bucks. Go Bucks.